Turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3, please. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. That means spiritually happy, filled with spiritual joy and energy, favor of God on their life. Why? Because they're merciful. And on top of that, they will be shown mercy. God himself vows it. I will show you mercy. When you need mercy, you will receive it. Why? Because you're merciful. How many believers, how many of us have lost out on things God wants to do in our life because we're, we're so unmerciful with people? We don't show mercy to people. We, uh, we carry on in such a way that we're not full of pity for those who are in trouble. We're not looking to reconcile with people who have hurt us and offended us. That's what this means. That's what mercy means. It's an aggressive word. It's more than forgiveness. It's more than grace. It's a part of grace. It's the aggressive nature that Jesus had. Go out and get people who hate you and get them to love you and make peace with them. That's what the merciful are. And you have Christians who are full of doctrine in their head, but they got a bad heart. They're Calvinists or Arminians or Charismatics, and they want to argue about what's the mark of the beast in the Revelation. What does it matter? They got a beast in their own heart, the way they treat other people. How many understand what I'm talking about? The merciful, the merciful are almost extinct now. Check it out on social media. Tell me how much mercy you see. Check it out in racial politics. Check it out in regular politics. Check it out with Republicans and Democrats. Check it out. Everybody here, come on, you're all hip. You, you all know what's going on there. Show me mercy out there. No mercy is go for the juggler, including Christians. They're more political than they are spiritual. They're more racial than they are Christian. They're, they're white or Southern or black or Republicans or Democrats, conservative, liberals, they're that first, then they might be a little Christianity left over there. I want to be a Christian, first of all. How many say amen with me? The battle for our culture is not between right and left. It's between good and evil. May we always fight for the good and not compromise ever with evil. Amen. You see the lack of integrity? Call it out. It is what it is. But we're here be salt and light. And we, are we not? Have you found Philippians chapter 3 yet? He is talking about who he is. He's been under attack by Jewish proselytes who are, as Jesus said in Matthew, they were twice a child of hell than the scribes and Pharisees were. They had suffered to convert to Judaism, and so they weren't having Gentiles have the easy way of partaking of God's covenant. And so Paul was confronting them, and he shared his pedigree on how very Jewish he was, and he's the real deal. He's not, he's not a wannabe Jew. He's the real deal. And yet, in light of the gospel and the resurrection that we have to look forward to, he counts those things as dung. In light of the fact he's written, you know, half the New Testament... It's dung compared to the knowledge of knowing Jesus and the future we have in our resurrection in Him. Verse 12, Not that I have already attained 
or I'm already perfected, but I press on. Those things are done, but I still haven't arrived. I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Christ apprehended him, arrested him on the road to Damascus to persecute Christians. And he was converted as a result. And now he's pursuing the reason for which the Lord arrested him. Verse 14, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, to the level of the victory we're walking in, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Never rest on our blessed assurance thinking we've arrived. Can I get an amen? Amen. Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk of whom I've told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly. Can you say appetites? Fleshly pleasures are ruling them. Whose God is their belly and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven. Can we say heavenly? Our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Therefore, my beloved and long-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, be loved. There's no greater foundation than the love of God. Can I get an amen? We need to stand in that love. We need to be loved. If you want to be a beloved believer who does not fall, stand in the love of God. No matter what your circumstances look like, no matter if America goes down the the pipes and gas goes up to $80 a pint, we're loved. Amen? Amen? It's time to get a backbone and stop being whiners. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that your word would speak to us. We apply it to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. One verse out of that stream of verses I would like to just focus on today and spring from. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which, from heaven, we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're living in the now, between the now and the not yet. Shannon Crawford preached a great message living between the now and the not yet. Now we are citizens of heaven, but we're not there yet. Paul, who was a Roman citizen before he ever made it to Rome, understood that kind of mentality. He was a citizen of Tarsus, of of Cilicia, southern Turkey. He's writing to people in Philippi, where if you are a natural-born Philippian, 
somebody from the Philippines said, Philippines, if you're a natural born Philippian, you were considered also a citizen of Rome, a Roman citizen, even though they may never have gone to Rome. I have a niece that was born in Zimbabwe, Angela Holly, now Angela Mooney, she's a pastor's wife in Spring, Texas. She was born a citizen of the United States of America before she ever came on these shores. Now, because she was not born in United States territory, she can never run for president. Darn it. But she, she has all the rights and privileges of a U.S. citizen because she was born that even, even though she wasn't here. So in like manner, we are citizens of heaven having been born again before we've ever gone there. And we eagerly wait for going there. We eagerly wait. Who's waiting for the Lord's return? We eagerly wait for that. John said, those who have this hope purify themselves. This hope purifies us just as he is pure. May we never lose grasp of the Lord's return. Maybe you've been misled by uh, somebody who set a date for the Lord's return. And uh, because of the signs that the prophecy preacher or you saw pointing to his return, so you thought you knew when he would return, and now you're disillusioned because he didn't return. Every generation has signs. I learned this from Elder Joe Duncan. Every generation has signs that the Lord is going to return to encourage us in the waiting. But they do not necessarily mean when he will return. Hootie and the Blowfish wrote a song, um, Only Want to Be With You, and I tried to turn it into a Christian song, and it didn't exactly take off, but... Uh, one of the verses was, some of us are setting dates for when you will return. So far, they've all been mistakes. When will we ever learn? It's easy to do. We only want to be with you. So in our hunger, in our eagerness, and in our waiting, let's not fall prey to false prophets. Jesus said they would come and they would say, the Lord's coming here and the Lord's coming there, but don't believe them. So between the now and the not yet, we have a job to do on planet Earth. Can I get a yes? yes? Our citizenship in heaven is now and future. So as a U.S. citizen, you have a dual citizenship. Which one's going to last the longest? Let me ask you. Your heavenly citizenship. So which one's the most valuable? Your heavenly citizenship. So as heaven citizens, what are we doing here? We're representing heaven and earth. Our prayer, Jesus said, is to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we're to pray for one another, we're to pray for our leaders, we're to pray for our neighbors, we're to pray for our enemies. Lord, let your will be done in their life, in this situation, with this circumstance, just as your will is being done in heaven. And then you can elaborate that on that if you know some of the things that have to do with what God's will is, praying for his will to be done in earth. Lord, intervene in this situation, just as your will is being done in heaven do it here. So the last couple Sundays, we're in the midst of a mini-series, and uh, the last couple Sundays we've spoken kind of generally that would, that would relate to any citizen of any country on the planet, but today we're going to kind of zero in on us just a little bit, not going to go too far on us as U.S. citizens and heavenly citizens. We are made heaven citizens by new birth. Nicodemus, a rabbi, approached Jesus secretly at night and tried to flatter him. Called him rabbi and said, we know that you're a teacher sent from God. 
for no one can do the things you're doing unless God is with him. Jesus humiliated him by responding, not thank you, oh, that's very nice, here, have some tea. No, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now we can understand this promise in many different uh, ways. The new birth experience is very real. But in this case, Nicodemus didn't understand it. It was a calling to him, not just for a new birth experience, but to humble himself. Because no one can become born again unless they become as a child. It's starting over again. How many is glad that you can start over again? In Mark 10 and Luke 18, Jesus said, unless a person becomes as a little child, they can't be part of his kingdom. It's like back to kindergarten. Now, we live in a constitutional republic, and we think the kingdom of God is that as well. It is not. The kingdom of God is a monarchy where the king owns it all. Yvette and I, on our way to Zimbabwe, had a 20-hour layover both directions to Dubai because the best price was on Arab Emirates. And uh, it came with a free hotel and free meals. And I love Mediterranean food, so it was, it was just icing on the cake. On our way back, we had a cabbie drive us around, and he drove us to the king's palace, the sheikh's palace. And Yvette asked him, how can they afford to do this? Our, our plane tickets weren't that expensive, and here's this free hotel room that's available to those who order their tickets by phone. Yes, some things are better by phone than online. And the meals... He said, well, the king owns the airline. The king owns a hotel. The king owns the restaurant. That's the way a kingdom works. Everybody who is citizen of the kingdom are stewards of what the king has allowed them to have. Now, as Americans, that messes with our minds. We don't understand that because our country is founded on individual rights. But a monarchy is founded on the rule and reign of the king. Now, the best form of government, the most efficient form of government, really is a benevolent monarchy. Now, when that king dies, it remains to be seen what they're going to do. Right now, things are good right there. But on earth, generally, monarchies go bad. That's why there's revolutions and overthrows. So a constitutional republic, democratic government, is be best in light of that. But even they go bad after so many centuries. Look at Greece, the world's oldest democracy. Terrible. How does that happen? They need another revolution. How does that happen? Well, basically because it operates on votes and the candidates running for office make promises. All right? If they fulfill half their promises, that's going to cost what? Money. So it accumulates because each new candidate fails at undoing the previous candidates' accomplishments in fulfilling their promises. Nobody wins office saying, I promise to do nothing. <laughs> so they all promise something that's going to cost money. So you just accumulate. Have several hundred presidents running for office, several hundred governors running for office, fulfilling half their promises. It accumulates where it winds up in socialism. It just does. It's just the nature of the thing. Now, this isn't government class. I digress. But the point is, the kingdom of God is not like that. Our king is eternal. He's not going to go bad. He's benevolent. He's not going to go hateful. And one day he's coming back with judgment 
a sword in his hand, and we're going to be with him on white horses. I don't know what all that means, but I know we have a city looking forward to. This, is not, this dual citizenship thing is not something new. It goes all the way back to Abraham, who was called to leave his country and pursue God, and he was promised a land that his descendants would inherit. He was also promised a seed that would bless the nations of the earth. Hebrews 11.10 also says that he was looking for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. That's heaven. Man has tried to create heaven. They tried to create utopia, and they always go bad. That's us. So I'm not up here preaching theocracy. You can't have one because people will mess it up. The first generation may be really good, and then it just kind of goes south. That's the way we are. We need the king to come back and reign. Can I get an amen? So to enter into his kingdom, we must become as children. We must be born again. And how do we do this? He goes on to explain to Nicodemus this truth. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Nicodemus, I'm not just a good guy. I'm not just a rabbi. I am the son of God. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This is just not a mental ascent or easy believism. This is putting your faith in the son of God. Taking what he had to say seriously. That makes us part of his kingdom. We're made heaven citizens by a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5 says, If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Can somebody say everything? This word for new creation means a species that has never existed before. In three places, three passages, Ezekiel prophesied that God would give his people a new spirit and a new heart. That is the new creation. We're talking about who we are as citizens of heaven's kingdom. Who knows your identity is very important. You'll get rattled by the circumstances of life, get blown around and upset and your day ruined by politics. But if you know who you are, you're planted on a rock. And we have been adopted by the Father. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, Jesus. Now, Jesus was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, part of the plan of God. And then when the fullness of time came, he was sent, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Galatians 4, 4, and 5. Romans 8 says that we have received, as believers, we've received the spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Now, Abba sounds like a rock band, doesn't it? It sounds sanctimonious. It sounds real honorable, but it's, it's Greek for daddy or papa or dada. It's not real sophisticated. He's not just father. He's Abba. He's your daddy. He loves you. He's your king. This is ours by adoption. If you've been adopted, your parents can find it more easy to legally to uh, separate themselves legally from their biological kids than they come than they can from their adopted kids. Legally, it's true. So it is in the kingdom of God. We've been made heaven citizens by predestination. Blessed be Ephesians one, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. 
has blessed us. That includes our citizenship. Just as he chose us, can you say chosen? Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him. He's chosen us to be a holy people. That's why we've been chosen. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. This word freely bestowed is the Greek word, means accepted or highly graced. It is the Greek word karitao. Kari is related to the word charis, grace, charismatic, charis gifts, grace gifts. Um, Karitao means to be highly favored or highly gifted. He's done this to us. He's chosen in advance to do this to us. This word karitao is only in the New Testament twice. Here and in the Gospels when the angel Gabriel visited the Virgin Mary. He told her to rejoice, highly favored one. He went on to say, you've been chosen to have the Son of God. Highly favored, karitao, to her. So the favor that was given to her was given to you. Isn't that awesome? The God that chose her has chosen you. Well, I'm not as pure as Mary. Well, Mary was a virgin, but it doesn't mean she was totally sinless. Well, wouldn't she have to be for the Son of God to be sinless? No, because sin, according to the law, is passed down from the Father. The sins of the fathers, the iniquities of the fathers, are passed down to the children to the third and fourth generation. So your great-grandkids are impacted by your behavior. And so this cycle just continues. And so since Adam, we've all been born in sin because of him. It doesn't mean women are more holy than men. It means God set it up so that when he sent his son, Jesus, he could be sinless because his father is sin-free. God the Father. Isn't that good news? That's the gospel. Romans 8, 28, and 29 must be quoted together. Many times verse 28 is quoted, but without verse 29, you do not know what it means. Verse 28 says, All things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. If you stop there, you don't know what the good is. Here's the good, verse 29. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. So the good that's being done in your life, in spite of all the circumstances, is making us more like Jesus. We have been predestined for that. That is the purpose. Before this building was built, there was blueprints. Those blueprints were the purpose we had in building this place. The dimensions, the layout, the plans, the engineering, and all that was part of all that in making this building. Those, you could say, were our predestination papers until this thing came to pass. Brother and sister, we have predestination papers. This is who we are. Do not let the attacks of the world, do not let the shifting sands of time rattle you. Know who you are in Christ. You have also been qualified. Me? I'm not qualified for anything. Well, qualification is established 
by the qualifier, and you are not the qualifier. I am not the qualifier. God is. He told the church in Colossae, Paul did in chapter 1, verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you for a share of the allotted portion of the saints in the light. That's your citizenship. Who delivered us out of the authority of darkness and transferred or translated us into the kingdom of his dear son, the son of his love. So we have been qualified and delivered. be terrible to be qualified and in bondage, wouldn't it? What good would that do? But he's delivered us from the kingdom of darkness. We now have authority to fight with, to overcome sin with, to help one another with. We've been given redemption. We've been redeemed. Looking for that blessed hope, Titus was told. He said, we're looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar or a special people, zealous of good works. We're not saved and useless. We're saved to be useful. We're not saved so we can sin. We're saved so that we can learn to overcome. We've been made more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. But first comes the salvation. First comes the choosing. First comes the loving. Then comes the working out of what he has done for us. But in the meantime, we're looking for that blessed hope. Amen. Walking in his citizenship, he's already given us. So you're not earning your heavenly citizenship. You have it. And now as we pursue the Lord, we have a purpose. Back to our text today. Our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. How many is eagerly waiting for the Savior? So our citizenship in heaven is now and its future. So we're waiting and we're working. So we're not moving off to some monastery waiting for the Lord to return and having rapture drills like some do. I actually experienced that at a Holy Roller Church. There really is one. So we are waiting, but we're also working, which is why we are here. Why are we here? Here it is in a nutshell. Jesus spoke to the disciples. This is after his resurrection, saying in Matthew 28, all power, all authority, is given to me in heaven and earth. Go you therefore, because I have all the power, go and teach all nations. Somebody said everywhere. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Uh, that's the King James. The uh, more modern translation renders it more preferable to me, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. What did he command them? This is not some secret information. We got to figure it out. It's very clearly written in the Gospels. What Jesus said, he told us how to live 
take it seriously. Now, some things he said were unique to the situation, like go to such and such a village and take a donkey. Well, you do that, you'll wind up in jail. But when he preached to the masses to love your neighbor, to forgive, to be merciful, you see someone with a moat in their eye, get the log out of yours, and then go and help them get the moat out of their eye. That's to be taken seriously. He himself reiterates the importance in Matthew 7 when he said, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. What is the rock? The things Jesus said. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell. And great was its fall. So why are we here? We're here to make disciples, to baptize them, and to teach them to observe everything Jesus commanded so that their house doesn't fall when circumstances come. I don't know if you know it, but there's a shifting going on in the cultures of the world. Who knows that's true? It has always been that way. Always been that way. But God's people can be firm and strong in their faith, having built their life on the words of Jesus. Watch this. Before we build anything of any significance, we must first check the foundations. What are the foundations of your life? On what principles do you stand? What values drive you? What motives guide you? What is the heartbeat, the rhythm of your life? In the Bible, Jesus describes a wise builder. He says, anyone who builds their life on my words are like someone building a house on solid rock, firm foundations that dig deep, immovable and strong. But anyone who doesn't is like someone building a house on sand, a creation destined to fall, to be split, cracked and demolished by the waves of this world. As soon as any pressure is applied, we'll crack and break because there's no foundations, no real strength. You see, Jesus knew that the values, cultures, ways and principles of this world are fleeting. They change, move and shift with every generation. Isn't it funny that each generation can laugh and pick fault with the traditions and values of the people before them and yet religiously follow the values of today? And even more so, the generation of tomorrow will be ready to laugh at what we call right and wrong now. Values change. Cultural consciousness shifts. We are caught in a perpetual cycle of confusion. Every generation attempting to redefine what's right and wrong for our very lives. Where truth can be reshaped and sculpted by an ever-changing popular opinion. Jesus saw this and gave us the answer. He said, my words are immortal. My ways do not change. The values of God's kingdom are set. Child of God, citizen of heaven, new creations in Christ. Build your life on my words and you will not be moved. You will not be swayed by the shifting ways of this world. 
Your life is important. You are here for a reason. What you do in this world matters. The choices that you make each and every day matter. What are the foundations of your life? What is your life built on? What does your life point to? You are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Is your house built on a solid foundation? Did God's word made flesh come and speak truth to build your life upon? Or did Jesus only speak meaningless platitudes, pithy quotes to give you precious moments in the morning or when you feel like it? Or pick and choose like a cafeteria the things you want him to say, creating Jesus in your own image? Or is he to be taken seriously? Whether you realize it, we're like, our culture is like a frog in the kettle. The heat is being turned up. Ten years ago, if you were told what's happening today would be happening, you might not believe it. I remember watching Phil Donahue in the 70s and some of the bizarre activities shown on that have now become mainstream. found a good book, James Garlow, called Well-Versed, Biblical Answers to Today's Tough Issues. In the book, he writes, if a pastor had said 50 years ago that tearing up a baby in his mother's womb is a bad thing, people would have said, of course. Say it today, and some will say, pastor, you're being too political. If 30 years ago a minister had said that the practice of homosexuality is a sin, caused by iniquity that is yielded to, needs to be repented of, a form of fornication. People would have said, Amen. Say it today, and some will say, Pastor, you're being too political. Fifteen years ago, if you would have heard it said, marriage is between a husband and his wife, a wife and her husband, people would say, Yes, Amen, that's true. Well, you know, why are you stating the obvious? Say it today, and some will accuse you of being too political. Ten years ago, if you heard it preached that God has a plan for the people of Israel, the majority of people would have agreed. Say it today, and some will say you're being too political. Eight years ago, if you heard someone say our national debt is so high that it's immoral, people would have agreed. Say it today and people will say you're being too political. You see the shift? You see the, the change of climate? May God make us wise as serpents and harmless as doves and people of mercy and truth and accuracy in this day and hour. Well, that's my truth. Forget your truth. You want to stand on the truth. So verify, verify, verify everything 
you say. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your truth. I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, for the citizenship that we have been blessed with, for the security we have in that, that has called us to walk in purity. Lord, help us to shine as lights in this dark world. Help us, Lord, to be representatives of your kingdom in this world, in this nation, the USA. In Jesus' name, amen. As they're preparing to sing, I just want to challenge you to search your heart. Are you built on sand or are you built on the rock? You may think you're built on the rock, but you're getting swayed to become a reactor rather than a light for the kingdom. God bless you.